1: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Olia, and Olia was in a controlling relationship with a calculated abuser. It's a story of insecurities, gender transitioning, manipulation tactics, panic attacks, physical abuse, and escape plans. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today is Olia. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, Brandon. I'm happy to talk with you.
1: Well, thank you for being here. And if you want to be a guest like Olia is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form." When you click on that button, it takes you to our guest form page. There's lots of instructions there, everyone. There's lots of them. Please read them all and then either send me an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or just fill out our guest form page and press the submit button. And please do send me everything in the format that is asked for on that page. And there's a trigger warning on this episode as we do discuss physical abuse in this episode and also uh, the person who the story is about today also had threats of suicide as well. So if this is not for you, trigger warning, please don't listen to this episode. And now, without further ado, Olia, the floor is now yours.
0: Thank you so much, Brandon. I'm just going to jump in with a few like pieces of information regarding my story. So uh, my ex-girlfriend is a trans woman, and she transitioned while we were in our relationship. So for any listeners who aren't so familiar with that language, uh, when she was born, she was identified as a man. And when I first met uh, my abuser, I used he pronouns to describe him. Um, During my story, I'm going to refer to that time using the pronouns they, uh, which is more neutral. And after the transition in the story, I will use the pronouns she. So you will know the difference when I'm talking about one time if I'm using they and the other time if I'm using she. Um, And then uh, when I use the word dead name i'm referring to the name that they used when i first met them and when i refer to the name k i'm referring to her now so a little bit about just my background um uh, so i i never really saw a lot of like really great relationships growing up but you know people were healthy and happy regardless i always thought relationships were like on tv where like two people are supposed to fall in love and then you get your house and your job. And so that's really the reference I had for what relationships should be like. Um, I will say too that um, I'm somebody who has struggled with an eating disorder, which has like impacted my weight my whole life. And I've been like a very large fat person for most of my life. And during the time where I dated my ex um, and that, caused a lot of insecurity, as everyone can imagine, like this world is full of fat shaming. And so I was in the middle of college when I uh, met them and, you know, really facing the height of insecurity and finding myself. So I was in a very vulnerable place in terms of how I viewed my own self-worth when I met them.
1: And before you went to college, did you have a lot of relationships as far as friendships in high school, in middle school, and um, I guess, were you involved in uh, community or, or activities? And I guess, who are you going into university so people can get a little, I guess, know a little bit more about who you are?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I am a happy person, you know, and I think that any struggles I've ever I know that any struggles I've ever had, they are by myself and alone. I isolate my problems. Um, I did comedy groups while I was in college. I did comedy groups when I was in high school. I think I mean, this isn't a very funny story, but I'm definitely the funny one out of my friends. <laughs> um and I, you know, I, I'm i definitely was like a fake it till you make it, right? Like I don't want anyone to see that I'm not confident in myself. So um I think even if you knew me during that time, you would have been like super confident and I would get complimented on that, but behind the scenes, I think people would have said that I was very confident and very outgoing. And it was true, but there was a lot behind the scenes. I had a lot of close friendships and still do. Um I had one friendship that was romantically complicated. I had a best friend who I was in love with for years and years and years. And, you know, those feelings were never returned. And that like very, like that hurt me a lot growing up to, I felt like always the friend and never the person that people wanted to be with. And so I had never had a romantic, fulfilling relationship before I met my ex.
1: So you finish high school, you go to university. How are you feeling about yourself and uh, w- what you want to accomplish there? Like, are you feeling like upbeat that, you know, I got this? Or are you in the mindset of, uh, I hope this works out?
0: I, I'm i a really motivated person and, and I'm an optimist. I I, I want to see the best in situations. And I was excited to go to school. What I realized in the middle is that I was facing a lot of insecurity, especially with dating. And that's, you know, that's going on when you're in college, such a huge piece of it. And I wanted to experience that. And I was not feeling like I was worthy of experiencing that because of my body and So while I was excelling in academic things and social things, this like third pillar that felt very important to me was not being fulfilled. And I think that made my whole relationship more isolated in and of itself, because on the outside, I've always just like been doing well otherwise. Um, And I was, sincerely, I think I had good friends and I just felt really lonely in this whole other piece of me.
1: So eventually you meet the person that the story is about. So where did that happen?
0: I met dead name when I started working at a tour company in the city that we lived in together and went to school. Uh, When I joined the company, It was a toxic environment. Most of the other tour guides who worked there were these guys and this frat, and they were openly very sexist and very rude and made fun of me about my weight all the time. Like, how will Olia be able to do this job if they're so fat, right? Because you have to walk around a lot. And there was just a lot of making fun of me behind the scenes that I was very aware of. And very early on, um, my ex stood up for me and they were really there for me and they didn't treat me like everyone else. They got to know me. They thought I was funny. I thought they were funny and they were such good friends with the other employees that they stood up for me and were like, hey, you need to give Olia a chance. Like, she's really cool. She's like very funny. And they made that job a lot more easier for me and helped me make friends. At my job
1: so when someone stands up for you who's a stranger are you immediately drawn to them because of that or were you immediately drawn to them before that uh, like was there an an attraction that was going on without that aspect of things and that would kind of just solidify it that oh this person has my back and like immediately you're involved in their world
0: oh totally i mean my ex is a charmer they were so likable and easygoing and um like They seemed so even keeled and cool. As soon as I met them, I was like, this person is really interesting. This person's very attractive, uh, very funny. Like I said, they were good friends with everyone there. So I wanted to be their friend right away. And as soon as I worked there, they got to know me very personally. You got to request who you wanted to do tours with. And after the first time we met, they started requesting all of their tours with me, which was so cool, right? Because nobody else would do chores with me. And they were the coolest person at the store. So, you know, lucky me, this was like really cool. And what a cool friend that I'm making. So we worked together for, you know, know, many months before any moves or anything happened. And there's time we grew very closest friends. We would go on long walks together. I learned about their family a little bit. Um, We confided with each other as friends first. And uh, one night they invited me to hang out outside of work, which had never really happened before. We'd only ever hung out at work. And I met them for drinks at a bar. And they were so angry about something at the bar, but they couldn't tell me what. They were like, "I, I can't get into it. It's so hard. I can't deal with it. And I, being the person I was, was just there for them. And we went to their apartment and I held them and we hooked up and then we were dating from that moment forward after that first night. At first, like with many people, it was a really intense and passionate relationship and it felt really good. And my ex would say things to me that nobody had ever said about who I was and my body and also how amazing I was. They really built me up in ways I felt like I really needed. But in this was this always comparison to other girls and other people. of like, oh, you're not like other girls. You know, you're not like other people. Like you're smarter. Like you have an effect on people. You make people really happy. And I was like, this is fantastic. But it was always like other people can't do that. You're the person who can do that. And in addition to that, our really early on in our relationship they really introduced gender roles like men are supposed to be like this and women are supposed to be like that and i didn't necessarily agree with them but they really you know talked about it a lot and i felt like our sexual relationship kind of revolved around that as well which i was like comfortable with and i really liked um but there was really really early on my my ex just like being like I don't know I don't know if that person's like this you know and just like I said I was in these comedy groups and they came to one of my shows and afterwards were like you're the only funny one like otherwise it just wasn't funny but you you were really really funny and at the time that made me uncomfortable because I thought the whole thing was funny but at the same time I thought they were trying to make an effort you know to get into something that i was into and that at least they thought i was funny. So i didn't really see how that was a bad thing when it was happening.
1: But here is the moment in the early stages of your relationship and it is constant flattery, but the other part of is it of this whole thing is they are going straight after all of your insecurities and really Uh, reinforcing that uh, you shouldn't be insecure about these things, that these are the great things about you. And that is what we hear in a lot of these textbook cases where they are either going after your, you know, your basic fear, your desire, or they're going to start buttering up all of your insecurities to make you feel that, um, love or whatever void was missing, um to to help you feel more secure within the relationship that these things aren't going to be a problem with them and that you're good enough just the way you are and you know you were struggling with being good enough and here's your list of of reasons why and this person knew really right off the bat when they saw you or when they see you there's my target. They don't know it, but you were uh, based upon observation uh, a sitting target for someone like this.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, Brandon. And like I said, I was so outwardly confident, even in the workplace when people would kind of make fun of me, I could take it and I could dish it. And that was something I was very proud of. So not only did they say they, they see someone who, was real strong right really strong and really good at i like making people laugh and feel good so they saw those qualities in me however i was a very large fat person and we all know that very large fat people are shamed for that and very few of us who have lived that experience get to the point where you're comfortable with your body and that is the journey but at that point you know i'm I'm 19 years old. I'm not there in the journey. And that's pretty obvious to see.
1: And also you have no idea that someone like this exists at this time.
0: Oh no. I, 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 and to this day, I try to see the good in people first, but in that time in my life, I would have never known that somebody would target me. Right. It took me a while to figure out that they specifically found me and, uh, Wanted to control me, and you know, when our relationship started progressing, uh, they went and visited my family and charmed all of them. I went down and visited their family, and when I visited their family, you know, it felt like our relationship was getting more serious because I got to see this intimate part about their life, and their parents weren't so great, they just weren't great. Their dad was abusive, their mom was kind of controlled by their dad and so they just didn't have an awesome home life you know they're you know they had bad parents and um also when we were down visiting their friends they had have always surrounded themselves with very macho men very like like assholes (laughs) like mean people bullies and so i kind of got that vibe hanging out with their friends and afterwards When we went back to their house, they would be like, yeah, you know, this is making fun of your weight, but I told them to fuck off about that. I stood up for you. And so they were telling me how much their friends noticed this about me, but in a way of like, oh, but I stood up for you. And I noticed too, how slowly I noticed now, I did not notice at the time, how slowly that stick up for me slipped on its head, where it was always double-sided of, you know, people assume this about you because of your weight, but you shouldn't let that affect you. And it would always come in two pieces.
1: Yeah, well, that first part is they put you down right away and then come in as your savior. So you're only looking at them as a savior. But at the same time, I am i mean, that's going to hurt you right off the bat. Uh, and who knows if those things even happened, really?
0: I know. I I have... I actually befriended some of their high school friends who they are not in contact anymore. And so they're great people. A lot of them were, you know, and, uh, I was convinced that everybody didn't like me, even the, even the good people. So a very quick, fast love between us. We visited each other's families towards the end of the year. I was preparing to study abroad. So I was supposed to go abroad to Europe, for three months and we were heartbroken about it, right? We were young love, obsessed with each other. We couldn't imagine being apart for each other for three months, but. I was ready to go, It doesn't mean I was gonna hold me back. And they started getting really upset about it. And that we would talk on the phone for hours and hours every single day about how we would keep in touch. And they seemed really nervous about it and I could tell. And there was a lot of tension in our relationship for the fact that I was gonna leave in um, the spring to go abroad. When that time rolled around, uh, we were staying together in the city that we went to school. And it was their birthday. And this is the moment where everything shifted, right? Up to this point, it's not a great relationship, but I have no idea. And I also think it's gonna get better because relationships are complicated. Yeah, That's where my mindset is. So um, it's about a week before I'm gonna leave to go abroad. And they it's their birthday and we go out for dinner And I was going to tell them on their birthday that I I loved them. I'd never said I love you before. I felt very nervous. I didn't understand why they hadn't said I love you to me. And I had this mindset at the time, especially because they repeated this back to me about men kind of running their relationship, that they were supposed to say it to me first. And they had it. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to say it. I want to say it. So I will. I will. And so that evening when we were in bed together, I looked at them and I said, I I love you. And right away they said, would you love me if I was a woman? And I'm a queer person. And when they said this, it it only took me a second or two to understood what, what, what she was saying, right? It was in this moment that she, you know came out to me and said, you know, this person who you think you've been dating isn't exactly right. Um, I'm actually a woman and I want to transition fully into a woman. And I, I was ready to accept her right away because I'm queer, because I'm young and liberal and this is the right thing to do. And that doesn't mean that I didn't come in and say some wrong things, right? Because this was also really scary and it was also... Really confusing because not only had I known her, you know, in this context, but like I said, she really pushed the difference between us, where she was a man, quote unquote, and I was a woman. So for all of a sudden this to be different, and I was never allowed to talk about those thoughts again, I never really got to ask why that was true. And it came out in some transphobic comments early on in the beginning, but that was. You know, that was within the first 48 hours that those those conversations went down. And she never let me live them down, right? I felt like I was making up for those, like, questions in the beginning for the rest of our relationship. And, of course, like, once she came out, everything about a, both of our lives changed.
1: Um, so before you get to the change, was she aware that you were queer before and were you aware that you were queer before?
0: The answer is actually no. I was not aware how, that I was queer. I had hooked up with women before and I had had crushes on women before, but I had never dated one and i was in this mindset that i was experimenting in college you know i didn't think that i could just be a, a gay person and but i kind of knew in the back of my head so i wasn't super uncomfortable and i'd never told her that i had these thoughts and so actually she told me early on like i know you're straight and like you're never going to love me because you're straight and i tried to say things like well i don't know how true that is like I think if I was straight, I wouldn't be able to do this. I don't know if I'm straight. I've had these experiences I've never told you about, but you know, for her, like, no, you're straight, you're straight and you don't want to be with me. And you're only here because I don't know why, but you're not actually gay.
1: So what is your uh, mindset here?
0: I love this person. It doesn't matter to me, right? This is the person I fell in love with. They could be a man. They could be a woman. Like, that doesn't matter. I love them. And I joined all these forums about other people who go through this and talk about that experience. And I really related to that. And I wanted to prove to her that I was, I meant it. Because in my head, it made a lot of sense that she would feel insecure about that. And so, of course, I was like wanting to do everything I could to be like, no, I'm in this and I'm going to be your advocate. And it, I had to jump into that role immediately. Right. As soon as she came out, that was that. And at work. Um, all of these bro asshole guys were suddenly like, you know, not her friend anymore. You know, they were freaked out about it because they were transphobic and didn't understand. And so me, who had just developed all these friendships with these people, had to be that middleman for her. And suddenly I was the one sticking up for her at work. And still, you know, I'm supposed to leave. She hasn't come out to her parents yet, but she wants to, you know. Um, I feel terrible. How am I supposed to go abroad? How am I supposed to leave? This person that I love, who is going through the most tragic thing in their entire lives. And she's begging me to stay. She wants me to stay so badly. And I'm wanting to stay, but like, I spent this money and I signed up for this trip. Like, there's no way I'm doing that. The night I was leaving, uh, I am on the plane, Brandon. I am sitting in my seat and she calls me and she tells me that she was hit by a car in shock and she tells me she's hit by a car and that the hospital is being transphobic to her and she doesn't know how to handle it and that her parents are coming in town and that she needs me and she begged me and begged me and I got off the plane and I bought a ticket to where she lived and I flew there that night. Now when I got there she hadn't really been hit by a car you know, when you live in a city, sometimes you cross the crosswalk and the car hits you, but, like, you just kind of, like, flip them off and keep going. Uh,
1: it's like they rolled in like, it was like an, a little nudge at about less than a quarter mile an hour, would you say? Yeah. Yes,
0: that's how I would describe it. It's
1: like they were already stopped and maybe they took their foot off the gas for like literally a half a second and you got a bump.
0: She had no injuries. (laughs) She had no injuries. I'm not even sure she fell to the ground. But it was a great thing to say because I'm thinking she's in the hospital.
1: Did she actually go to the hospital?
0: I don't know. I don't know. Okay. She said she did, but she lies. So I don't know. Uh, So I'm there. And I'm instantly confused on why she's not hurt. But her parents are going to be there in in an hour. So I kind of forget about it completely. Because now I'm going to be here for her when she comes up to her parents. So she comes out to her parents. It goes bad. It goes bad. They're from the South. You know, they were not very accepting. They tried to be. I, they on and off. Well, we were going through this, tried to be in her life and vice versa. Um, So when her parents left, it was truly like I was the only person in her life. She didn't have friends. All the friends she did have were going to have the same reaction because of the kinds of people they were. She didn't have parents. And I was the only person. And so I decided to stay and help her transition and go on this journey with her because she needed me in this moment. So we're in this place now, right? And things are really complicated and we get an apartment together and my family is so disappointed in me for doing for going through this and they're worried about me and I am angry at them for not just like throwing their support behind me and being like, this is my choice and I get to do it and you don't understand what this journey is like. You don't understand what kind of support she needs. I need to be here for them. So it's the decision to not go abroad cut a pretty intense tie with my family and we were still family, but they were disappointed in me. I didn't like that feeling. So I focused all of my energy on her. Brendan, the moment that we moved in together, everything shifted. It was like, it, it was like my life became taking care of her 100% and her needs and her behavior changed completely. Um, immediately, everything made her cry. And I'd never seen her cry before. And she was crying all the time about absolutely everything. You know, she was growing out her nails and she chipped a nail and she bursted out into tears, like screaming tears. And I would console her and be there for her. And, you know, we would, like Uber, would be late and she would have a breakdown about the uber and every time i thought to myself and was kind of giving told through hints this is because i'm going through a lot right now and this is because i'm facing this and she started taking hormones to transition so a lot of these really dramatic mood swings she would just be like oh my god it's the hormones like it's the hormones that are making me like this they drive me crazy they're messing with my brain the first time that she ever got physical with me She was attempting to reconnect with a friend who had cut ties when she came out, you know, it was like a couple months later and he was over our house and he had kind of overstayed his welcome. But like I said, she had these intimate, close relationships with people. And this was one of those guys who she was very close with. And he had just like stayed at our apartment for over a week. And I talked to her and I was like, hey, he needs to go. Like we live in a studio apartment. This is too much. And that night when I got home, he was still there. And she like pushed me into this walk-in closet that we had. She dug her fingers into me and was like, don't say anything about it. It's rude. Like, don't say anything about it. And I was really scared. I was like, okay, I won't. Okay. Like, why are you doing this to me? Why are you pushing me like this? Um, But as soon as he left, she had like a big meltdown. So I just never, I never brought it up and I never had the chance to bring it up. And what happened is this like, devotion to making sure that she was okay. And she didn't want to work because she didn't want to be, um, you know, uh, ashamed at work. And so I paid for our rent and I paid for our expenses. And I drove her to appointments that she needed. And I helped her every way that I could so that she could have her like, she could have the identity that she needed. And it was really complicated and it still is complicated, Brandon, because she did deserve all of those things. Like separate from being a horrible manipulative person, like that is support that people could use. And I knew that at the time, and this is the framework that I was working with. But the truth was, is that I was being controlled completely. If she woke up late for an appointment, she would scream at me in the car about it or, If I cooked a dinner that made her feel gross, she would call me fat and say, I, you know, no one's going to take me seriously if I'm a fat woman. And all the time too, if I tried to stick up for myself and point out her behavior, I was being transphobic. Why don't you understand what I'm going through? You can't say that to me, you know, or like, you can't blame me for what i'm going through it was just always centered around this issue that i was transphobic and she would go back to those conversations we had in the first 48 hours where i confused her pronoun she was like you've never understood the pronouns you don't understand me at all and this still is this devotion to want to prove to her that like i can do this for her and it was just being 100 obsessed with her she started creating rules in the house, all of which uh, went around her transphobia, which was like, I wasn't allowed to have any people over that she didn't approve of because if they made her uncomfortable, she didn't want them there. So she would not let my sister stay over when she came to visit. And I had to like break that news to her. And like, like this sounds crazy, but she would like be like, I can't listen to this music it's masculine. It's toxic, masculine music. I'm not going to listen to it. So we could only listen to music that she wanted to listen to. And she would refer to these conversations we had early in our relationship where she was talking about masculinity. And I was just yesing her because I loved her so much. And she'd be like, you think all of these toxic things about masculinity. And I would just be like, no, I don't. I mean, I kind of did earlier, but no, I don't. And she really confused me, right? It was like, all of these earlier conversations we had suddenly were just all my fault and all being used against me. When it, it escalated really quickly, the summer, uh, that spring, she came out to me that summer. We have this chaotic relationship. Um, I never leave the house because she's so depressed that she tells me that if I leave and she doesn't come with me, I'm going to come home and she's going to hang herself from the balcony so i'm so scared that this is where she is in her journey that like i'm constantly with her and if i'm away from her i'm texting her constantly to make sure that she doesn't die and i thought to myself you know i don't really like what's going on here but it will change eventually once she gets more comfortable and then she'll be happy and i don't want her to die and she doesn't have any other support so i have to stay with her this Shifted again when one night she uh strangled me in my sleep, and I woke up to that, and it was really scary, and it was you know like anyone else who's experienced something like that, like you any trust that you had left in that relationship just falls deep into your stomach, and you're so confused, and I was so confused because I loved her and I was trying so hard for her, and i didn't understand why that was happening and You know, that struggle back and forth in that moment wasn't over very quickly. I had to, like, free myself from what she was doing. And that night I didn't sleep. I slept on the floor so that she wouldn't be on the same level as me. I slept on the floor for a while, you know, and we just, like, didn't talk about it. And uh, I got to, and I, because I knew if we talked about it, it would make her upset. And she was always upset about everything else in the world it was so hard to her. Like, I didn't want to bring that up, but obviously um, you have to. Uh, and so, you know, I started being like, we need to talk about that. Like, why did that happen? That can't happen. That doesn't feel related to your transition. And she would just be like, you need to get over it. Like, you just need to get past it. You need to get past it. And I was like, I can't. And the more I sat with it, you know, I had conversations with her that were like, listen. Before in our relationship, you weren't doing these things to me, you know, and I know you're going through something, but like you're treating me poorly. And she would always talk about how that was transphobic because I was saying that I would prefer to be with a man than a woman. And I would be like, It has nothing to do with dead name, it has nothing to do with who you were when you went by dead name. Like it has to do with like since we've started living together and the way that you're treating me. She looked at me and she said, dead name is gone. I pretended to be him. I pretended to be the man of your dreams so that you would fall for me because I knew you wouldn't love me like this. And I was right. Like, you don't love me like this. And in that moment, I was so confused. And she said that a couple times, you know, if I, anytime I brought up the way she treated me now, she would be like, be like, she'd be like, that was a lie. The person I was, was a lie and you fell for it. And now you're here.
1: So a lot has happened since you moved in and obviously there are a lots of very good explanations for why she's acting this way. Hormone therapy, all of those things that can explain a lot of stuff. You're going along here. You're going along. Um, There's gaslighting that's happening. There is the suicide threats, which is another form of, of control that's happening. And you yourself, everything you're doing is for them. There's no evenness going on you know nothing we hear have heard here there's nothing good happening for you there's zero balance in 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 that there's um then the physical abuse happens and the physical abuse the specific event of physical abuse with the choking where there is no plausible explanation that can be given as far as an excuse uh, for anything here There just isn't any, there just can't be. So this event happens and it jars you for her to now hark back onto all of these things where she now admits that the whole relationship started off based on a lie that she knew was a lie.
0: And I didn't know what to say to that because I was, I like, I wanted to be like, how dare you lie to me? But then again, like she was also forced into this gender role. Like she was saying, she was saying, I was only nice to you to get you to get to this point. But the way that she worded it, it could have been interpreted about gender. And so I like... I could read through what she was saying, but I didn't feel like I could say anything back. And at this point, after she like got physical with me, I knew I couldn't tell anyone. I knew the moment I told someone they were going to get me out of that relationship. I knew that she would die. Or I thought that she would die if I left. And so I am cutting off family. I'm cutting off friends. I'm just ignoring people. And I'm like, if I can just focus on her, it can get better after the choking i never got better i started having these crazy panic attacks anytime it seemed like she would get aggressive with me to the point where like i was debilitated right i was constantly having panic attacks and trying to hold it together and she would she would make them happen on purpose sometimes just to get me riled up right these panic attacks were so intrusive in our relationship. Probably two or three times a day, I'm in the fetal position, just being like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please leave me alone. Please leave me alone. Please leave me alone. To the point where she's getting frustrated and she looks at me and she's like, fuck this up. I broke you. It was perfect. It was all working and I broke you. Now you're broken. And this relationship's not going to be like it was because you're broken and I broke you. I fucked it up. And I was just crying, you know, and there's, there was this immediate thing between us where her, she wanted me to just forgive her. She said, you need to forgive and forget. If you don't, this relationship can't move forward. And I said, we need to talk about what happened or I can't. And we could never talk about what happened because there was always too many things else going on, but it didn't stop. Right, it got more chaotic. The only time I could get away from her is if I was studying for classes, and then then I would get a break. Uh, I was with her constantly, taking care of her. That all of these things that had happened, we just had to like push them off. And obviously, like I know, I knew as soon as that situation happened that this was an abusive relationship. I just didn't know how to get out of it. I would consider her an expert trauma bonder. She is so good at getting you to go through that cycle where she she like explodes your brain and then soothes the chaos and explodes your brain. And so any moment you get with her that is positive and lovely, you just soak it up and you don't take that lovely time to talk about the problems because you got to refuel yourself before the problems come back. And so there wasn't even space to discuss things because we're just going through this cycle so quickly over and over and over and over again. Eventually I was like okay I need to talk about this and I'm having panic attacks constantly and you're telling me that you're I'm broken and I feel broken so we got to go through this. And we're driving down to visit her parents which is a very triggering experience you know she, they have a tumultuous relationship they're working on it. And as we're driving down, I start talking to her and I'm like, we need to talk about this and we need to talk about it. Cause if not, like, I don't know if I can be in this relationship and like, we need to talk about why it happened and other things that have happened. And she's at first, she puts on this like cool person vibe of like, like, you just make a big deal about that. And I was like, don't laugh at me. Like, this isn't a joke. Like, this is like fucked up. Like, We need to talk about this. And then immediately it shifted and she starts driving the car faster and faster and faster and faster until she genuinely loses control of it. Because the whole time I was like, please stop doing this, please. And I was trying to stay calm because she told me that whenever I have these panic attacks, it makes her feel bad. So I'm trying not to have one. She's trying to induce it so she can get mad at me. And eventually the car is shaking from left to right to left to right because there's no control at the speed we're going. And I'm screaming for my life, like please I don't wanna die, please I don't wanna die, please I don't wanna die. And we get control of the car and she goes, don't talk about it again, just forget it. Like I'm not having this conversation again. And I was so scared. I convinced her to pull over. So that i could drive and you know we stayed together like six months after this event happened but i never let her drive the car again ever because i thought you know if i get in the car with her she's going to use it to kill me or she could you know at this point i still love this person i still want her to succeed i don't want to be with her but i don't know how when we were at her parents house when we got down there her mom looked at me and said i don't know what's wrong with her She's always been like this. She just wants to hurt people for fun. And in the moment, I looked at her mom and said, that's really fucked up to say by your own child. Like, that's the reason she has issues is because of parenting like that. But she was right. <laughs> that's what she's like. <laughs> that's exactly what she's like. Um, and then, you know, after that trip, I started a really long escape plan. That looked like I have to get her well off and on her own and confident. And then once she's okay, I will leave. Uh, Obviously, she was never going to be okay.
1: So that thought process you had right there, it's not everyone's thought process. But there's a lot of people out there that that's their thought process, especially when you're dealing with someone who is um, threatening suicide. Uh, In instances, because the last thing you want to do is when that's on the table is is leave thinking that you might then be a cause of something terrible happening and then that being laid upon you. So we haven't talked about your support, your friends who you're talking to as far as like who you're confiding in, is any of that going on? Because right now, I mean, you're ending up in the fetal position and so you're doing everything by yourself and you uh, have crack. You're at your wit's end. You have zero control of your life, uh, zero control of everything. You've given up your dream. You are, you are literally, you were literally on a plane. You were literally on a plane. you <laughs> know. And you got off a plane and then traveled a long way to go help someone who may or may not have actually gone to the hospital. And you, when you think about this whole entire story, like, if you had just gone on that plane, this it's, it's pretty um, mind-blowing to think about that, that something that may not even have happened got you off there into that, and then all of this unfolded um and so i i guess you know you've been struggling uh so who has been helping you or are you finally reaching out here to people when you weren't before
0: um first to the plane point i think the moment i got off the plane she knew like i got her i got her and that's why things like escalated so much in that moment and she knew her family's going to be so upset And she's going to feel embarrassed about that. And so she's going to avoid talking to them. And all of that was true. I, Brandon, believe it or not, I talked to no one. If anything, I was trying really hard. There were a couple friendships that I lost very early on for people who were like, she's a bad person, like other people who picked up on red flags. And I was like, you're transphobic that was the response like if somebody had a problem with her that was the problem even if it was unrelated and I was also repeating that and I didn't want to lose my family I didn't want to lose some friends so I didn't want to bring it up to them because then if they said anything bad about her like they were transphobic so I I think everyone in my life knew that I was struggling and everybody was afraid of me cutting them off Brandon during this whole time Until I broke up with her, I never told anyone because I was trying to protect her the whole time.
1: So what is your eventual plan of attack when you're trying to figure out how to end things and actually do it safely because we've already had this time where you were being strangled. So safety is the uh, utmost importance here for you and being able to you know, maneuver your way out in a way that is comfortable uh, for you, that might not set off lots of alarms where there might be space involved. So how did things uh, go? How did things end?
0: Because we were in college, we were going to graduate in, in May, you know, this was the fall time. So I knew that eventually in May, there would be this big opportunity for us to not live in the same place because she had very specific goals, I had very specific goals, right? I I kind of built this this plan around us graduating and the field that um, we work in, it's similar. Um, you go work temporary jobs and you can move anywhere in the country to work those jobs and I knew that she wanted to work in, in one of those positions. And so my thought was, I'll wait until she gets a job somewhere, and then I'll literally just go anywhere else. Because as much as I feel like her favorite thing in the world is controlling someone, she also loves everybody to love her. And so she wanted to start a new job where she could have a bunch of people love her and make her name in the field. And I knew that following her dreams was more important than controlling me to some degree. And so I knew if she left, I could leave and go somewhere else too. But those months when I stayed were so hard. There were times that I would fake the panic attack because I knew she wouldn't get violent if I did that. I had to explain to the security guard at our apartment that I wasn't actually being abused and that my girlfriend just had panic attacks from a trauma of a childhood, which I just made up. That summer to fall time, uh, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and my grandmother had just died of the same cancer that my mom was diagnosed with. And I found out and we're sitting in the apartment and I'm crying. And it was one of the first moments in months, you know, that she was consoling me because I was going through something and this was really hard for me. And I'm very close with my mom. And She's holding me and helping me for about five minutes. And eventually she looks at me and goes, I'm tired about this. Can you just give me attention? And I looked at her and I said, what is wrong with you? Like, I need attention right now. And she said, I'm done giving it to you. I gave you enough already. You get what you get. So not a good person. <laughs> but again, I was in love with her and I had no idea what to do. So... uh. We are applying to jobs all over the country. And I had a job that I was taking in one state. And she had a job that she was taking in a state thousands of miles away. And so she had confirmed her job. And as soon as she did, I took my job too. I thought, great, like we're going to be apart. As soon as that was confirmed, I think she started to pick up on the fact that I was trying to leave this relationship because I was constantly talking about money and making sure that she had enough money, and making sure that she was going to have friends down there and make sure you have a place to live. Like it was very obvious. I mean, I was already her mom, like I was her mom, but it was very obvious how much I was trying to make sure that she could completely be independent. And she started saying things like we need to get engaged we need to get engaged to prove that we're going to stay together. We need to get married. And I would say, I'd love to marry you, but I want to wait until after these jobs so we can be together. Like, I don't I don't want to get married before. Like, we, I'll get you a promise ring. And I got her a ring, and she starts telling people we're engaged. I told people it was a promise ring, but she's trying to make sure that these ties are not severed in any way. She flew me out to that state and helped me move in. To this temporary housing, I had met all my coworkers and was, you know, I'm her girlfriend, and you know, it's really serious, and we're engaged, and I was embarrassed, and this is a new place of work, and I was like, yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> and she moves, she starts her job. Uh, who knows if she actually had a rough start, but obviously, she had a lot of complaints that I had to fix. Um, constantly for her in the beginning, but slowly, as soon as I was away from her, and as soon as I got out of that cycle, right, of like chaos, 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 kindness, chaos, 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 kindness, and I got a chance to breathe, and I was working and making friends, I instantly just like had this breath of fresh air in me, and in those last months while I was planning this escape, I had started a very public health journey where I was trying to lose weight. I did lose weight through very abusive and restrictive ways. But at the time, I thought they were okay. And at the time, I was very desperate for control in my life. So I was really finding myself, right, because I had been so dependent on her to like validate my body, the fact that I could have control over my body for the first time was really big for my confidence getting away from her because I felt like this was something I did apart from her, um, not with her. And there were nights that she would just, you know, abuse me and hurt me. And I'd be like, let me take you to Taco Bell. Let me take you to Chipotle. Let's go to both. Sabotaging. (laughs) So I'm in this new state. I've found a lot of control. I've like been very, I know I'm trying to make sure that she's okay. But overall, I just start getting really apathetic. I start getting really angry. I'm, I'm like annoyed that she still needs all my help, but I'm still like wanting to be there for her. Um, one night she calls me and she tells me she's in the hospital. And I was like, I don't know if you're really in the hospital. We've done this before. And I remember being so Fucking angry about that like how dare you be in the hospital like my job is going so well I am quote unquote healthy I wasn't but I thought I was because I was thin and you are bugging me and you're dragging me down it was like the first time I just let myself get really fucking angry at her and I ignored all her phone calls you know, she's supposed to be in the hospital and I am not picking up the phone. I sent her some flowers with a note, but I like couldn't hear her voice. I didn't want to hear her whine. I didn't want to feel bad for her. She obviously senses that this is ending and is, makes a dramatic attempt to win me back. And she told a friend of mine that she had bought a plane ticket to the state that I was in to come for the weekend and hang out with me. And I knew that if she came, she was never gonna leave. She had been saying things like, I hate my job. I'll just come live with you. We can get an apartment together. I'll get a different job. And I was like, no, I don't want that. Like that ruins the plan and like, but also if I see her, I know that I'll do it. Like I still know that she has this like thing over me. And so I call her and I can still hear her voice say, Hey baby. And she picked up the phone. And the first thing I said was get back on the plane. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to see you. Don't get on the plane or get back on the plane. I don't know where you are, but don't come see me. I'm breaking up with you. And she's like, I'm already here. I've already landed. What are you talking about? Why would you say that to me? And I was like, you know exactly why I'm saying this to you. Like, you know exactly why we're breaking up. Like, you've done terrible things to me. You won't let me talk about them. Like, we're done. Like, this relationship is over. And she's like, let me just come bring you flowers. I love you. You know, even if you say it's over, I love you. And like, I just want to bring you flowers. And I said, no, don't bring me flowers. She asked if she could have my address to send me a letter. She ended up sending a letter to my like, employer, whereas, like, this poem about duality and the person you were and the person you grow into and the person that you can become, you know. It was so hard to make her get back on a plane. It was so hard, Brandon. That is like, I wanted to end things, but like, I was trying to do it in the best way possible. And I had just got into this point where I was like, I'm done with this person. I can't do it anymore. There is a bit of an epilogue to this story because we had a couple more interactions after and I learned other things that she had said about me after we'd broken up. Uh, I had a close friend die uh, while I was at that job, like shortly after we broke up, maybe about a month after uh, we had a mutual friend die. Um, She actually always, made fun of this person because they weren't cool enough for her, but I was this person's friend. And so uh, it was important for me to go. And of course she knew that I was going to be there. Um, I, she didn't have anywhere to stay. And she was texting me about how she didn't have any money for a hotel room. And I was driving there the day of, but I arranged for her to stay with my friend. And my friend said that that night she tried to hook up with her, which is weird. Uh, and uh, you know, the day of the funeral, she's trying so hard to pretend to be sad about it and like hold my hand and be with me. And I was just really uncomfortable with her touching me, and I was really uncomfortable with the whole thing. And she invited me to get a coffee with her after, and I was like, okay. And she's like, we haven't talked since we broke up. You never really told me the reason. Like, you need we need to sit down together. And I was like, okay, we can do that. And we sat down together, and it was fun, right? She brought out the charm. She brought out the piece of her that I really like. She bought me the coffee and she was like, you know, what would you say if I took you out on a date? Not right now. I understand you need some time away, but like maybe when we live in the same city again, like, let me take you out. And I was like, no, I don't want that. Like, I'm sorry, but this is like actually over. And she, as we were leaving, she was like, can I get a kiss goodbye? And I was like, No, like, I don't want to do that. But every time I said no, it's like she was upping the ante because she knew the no would hurt her more, right? It was really hard for me to reject her because I knew it would hurt her feelings. And she knew that would impact me. Almost a year after we broke up, um, somebody else that she was dating reached out to me because they were also being abused by her. And which was a very different situation, but they messaged me and said, hey, I know that you were abused because she told me everything about it. And also, you know, she said that she's proud of you for getting away and that she always knew that you could. And that she's, she's, she's very proud that you were able to escape from her. And it was so weird. And it was so weird for this other person who was now being abused to, like, be the messenger of that message. I think she intentionally wanted to get to me. And, you know, being five years out of that relationship, I have slowly been able to unravel and understand how intentional all those moments were. And those times when she looked at me and said things like, I'm doing this on purpose. I know it makes you upset. Like, I know you're not going anywhere. And then just like laughed to me. Like, that was her just admitting to it and just being openly a bad person, but knowing that she had that control and then everything she did was a choice. Like she had complete choice. And it took me a while to learn that and to really understand that and meet more trans people and be like, that's not what the journey is like at all. Because even directly after I was really confused on how much of that was her transition and how much of that was abuse.
1: So, you know, now that you got to this place and you're able to think back all the way to the beginning and we just bring up the word calculated uh, once again, this was calculated from the beginning and calculated in a way where you're targeted in the sense of this person is a vulnerable person i can see the vulnerability i know exactly what to feed into and get this person on my side and i'm this cool person and being associated with me in some ways especially off the bat provides this you know cool by association for you you're fitting in even though you didn't have a problem like fitting in and you had friends, but with, with this, like you're winning in, in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Like here's this really cool person that everyone thinks is cool and, and they're choosing me and they mm-hmm. chose me. And that was, you know, uh, a lot of times you can say with uh, disordered individuals that uh, some things that are going on, they don't have control over some things or they believe 100% of what they're saying, you know, but the person you're with knows what they're saying is uh, not true. They know exactly what they are uh, doing and they know that all they want is for you to feed them for you to take care of them so you know once you kind of go through all this and you love this person and you love them and you gave them everything you gave them everything until you were in the fetal position on the ground until the moment you realize that i'm in a passenger seat here literally and figuratively in a passenger seat this other person is driving 120 miles an hour the car is shaking in the back and i don't know if i stay in this car if i'm going to live i need to start driving this car myself i need to get out of this car um how it really is the epitome of your relationship where they are losing control of you and at another point of your relationship Um, The thing that came out of her mouth was about um, that she broke you Mm -hmm. and that she knew that she broke you. So here's this now moment in the car where she knows that she's broken you and she's trying to regain control of you um, by doing this other thing where she's thought she was in control and then loses control. And that losing of control makes her lose even more control Mm -hmm. of you. And these like the whole thing about that car ride of the threats, the it's, it's an intimidation factor. It's everything kind of rolled up in, in, into one, um, you know, playing upon your fear. Um, and you just having, zero control in that spot there's zero 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 control in that spot um and needing in like that being like the uh, one of the big points of saying i need to be in this driver's seat and you not being in that driver's seat i don't know if that was any more introspection of what happened or not but um, okay we
0: can it's it's an interesting thing that happened and You know, one of the things that came out of that was the silence until we broke up because we didn't talk about it again, because I tried to bring up the choking. She nearly killed me with the car. I was like, okay, well, I can't talk about that again because these are the things that happen. And when we pulled over and I said, get out of the front seat, I'm driving. And she said, no, I'm driving. This is my car. And I was like, I don't trust you. Like, you, you. I need to drive. And she threatened to leave me there. And it was one of the first times that I didn't just beg her like, no, please don't leave me. And I was like, okay, I'll call my dad and he'll figure it out. And he'll just send me a taxi. It doesn't matter how much it costs. If you drop me off here, I'll figure it out. Or you can get in the passenger seat. And she knew I wasn't bluffing. And so she got up and she got in the passenger seat and we never talked about it again. And I drove at that point moving forward. Um, So it was a huge attempt at control. And then for her, a huge loss of control.
1: Yeah. It was all wrapped up in the one, what she thought was going to be this ultimate form of control right here, where she really was, it was a life and death Mm -hmm. situation. And she did lose control of that car. Uh, and she lost all of the control. She, it was this really pivotal moment. It really is so fascinating to me. Um, it, it just like everything about that. I don't know if I'll be able, I'm going to think about that for the rest of the day. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, if that had
0: never happened, I could have seen this going longer. It was the moment that I realized she could kill me on accident like that's what could happen because i never thought she would do it because she didn't want to go to jail you know there were so many pieces wrapped up of like this is going to get better um but as soon as i was like oh no you are you have no control like you could do this on accident you could just accidentally kill me like i how would I stop that from happening? I realized that I had no control. I was like, I have no control over this. Can't stop you from doing something.
1: So that car ride, it's its pretty fascinating to me. And I'm going to probably be thinking about it for a while um, after the show uh, is done, after talking to you. But um How do you view your relationship now that you are in this place of uh, healing, uh, so far removed from everything? It's been five years because so many survivors are confused about what was real and what wasn't real in the relationship. And that's a big conundrum for people to wrap their head around. Uh, but for you, you might not be thinking it, about that at all because of how calculated this was really from uh, the beginning. So where's your mind uh, at when it comes to coming to terms with everything that happened? Uh, do you still uh, love this person? Do you have any sort of compassion for this person at all?
0: Um, well, I definitely knew during and after that I was a tool because she said, you know, people aren't going to take me seriously, but if I date a cute little white straight girl, they will. Right? Like she was very open about how I made her look more I made people take her more seriously for things that were out of her control, sincerely. And and during our relationship
1: Sorry, so so you were a, you noticed that you were a prop in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yes. Okay, okay.
0: And at first I interpreted that as being a hero and leaving the relationship. You look back on those words and you realize like, you make me look good. Isn't being a hero. It's being a prop. Um, she's pathetic. She's absolutely pathetic. Like the, she had complete control of herself the whole time. She chose to do those things. She chose to say those things to me. It's fucked up. It's super wrong. I never deserved any of it. And the fact that the only way she can feel good about herself is to manipulate and control and abuse is desperate and pathetic and bad. And I have seen the fake version of her that's very kind and nice. And I wanted to believe that that was real. And I know that she knows how to be those things because she plays it really well, but that's not what makes her feel good. What makes her feel good is the other stuff. And, you know, she, she likes it. She likes it. She clearly likes it. You know, that's why she does it. If she didn't like it, she wouldn't do it. I'll never understand why, but you know, I think it's embarrassing. There's no way she wants me telling people about it. She knows it's embarrassing. She knows that it doesn't look good to be someone who's like violent and emotionally, uh, you know, abusive and all of these things. She would be devastated to know that I talk about this and I name her in my personal life. Like I'm not afraid to say what her name is when I'm talking with friends and family and new people in my life, because this stuff really happened. And she really did that. And, uh, it's pathetic.
1: So now, uh, it's your five years out. Um, how was your healing process and what were like the biggest things that you needed to heal to move forward?
0: Like I said, for the first two years, I really just ignored it and like was like, I found myself a lot. You know, I actually had a very, I know this differs for people. I had a very euphoric experience leaving her. I was so deep and trapped that like getting away was opening myself up and I was, you know, living in this new state and I was going on dates and I was in a different body. So I was getting these reactions like I wanted before I started dating her and that was feeling affirming for me. Um, I ended up going into another relationship, um, not on purpose. I didn't want to date this person right away. We had both worked on a temporary job together. So I thought, you know, this is great. Like, I'll just have fun with them during this time. And then we'll, you know, go our separate ways. Uh, and we haven't, and we are still together. (laughs) And, um, a lot of the processing, you know, and I don't know if this is just the way it happened. Happened through that relation, through my relationship now, and realizing, like, for example, I got a year into my relationship with my current partner, and I had this intense fear that he was going to start hating me. Like, I just like assumed everything he was saying he hated me, and he was always mad at me, and he was always this, and it was like it ruin- That wasn't ruining our relationship, but it was clearly present in our relationship, and I just felt the courage to tell him that that's what I- was on my mind, and those were my fears. And he looked at me and he was like, oh, yeah, if I hated you, I would break up with you. And I was like, oh, yeah, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) Like, right. Okay, right, right. Um, You know, I think it took months after that for me to have a panic attack with him because he triggered me and he didn't mean to and he didn't know, you know, but um, I never wanted my relationship with my current partner to heal me that's been very important. Like the stuff, he's very kind in working with me and like doing things differently, but like, I don't want it to, it doesn't happen because of him. It just happens with him. I think it wasn't until last year. And it was hard too, Brandon, because I had to, I've never like said it out loud with my family. It took a little while for me to be like, yeah, that was a bad relationship, right? And I think that's what we say now, but very publicly online, about a year ago, I started calling it abuse. And I told stories about how things felt and what it was like to leave. And I name her. I say well, her name. You know, if you're on my social media, you knew who I was dating. It's not like it's a secret. And I'm in law school now, so I know how to word it in a way I won't get sued. <laughs> just in case. Um, and, yeah, I as soon as I started talking about it, it just opened up for me. I was like, none of this was my fault. And I was in a one person cult. And I was trying to be a good person. And it's absolutely completely embarrassing to treat people like that. And I think being able to just say all that out loud has been amazing. It's been amazing. And you know what? Everyone I've talked to about it is really awesome and kind and believes me and appreciates and sees the vulnerability as a strength and, you know, me being open about it in my life and casually open. Like I'll say like, yeah, I was in an abusive relationship. And I'll say that. And people are like, Oh, I'm like, yeah, you know, I was a sage. just what happened. You know, I learned that lesson. Like a lot of people confide in me about their abuse too. And you probably get this, like you just got to go on in life, but it never leaves you. And it feels good for me to have, like that perspective on the story because I was young, you know, I was young and I never had any love like that before. And I was trying to be a good person and I had no idea people could target you and then slowly break you down until they had control over you. i have never experienced it before.
1: So before we leave today, do you have any words of wisdom or, or advice for everyone listening?
0: Yeah, I, I think it comes back to that feeling of like, It's not embarrassing to be abused. It's embarrassing to be an abuser. We don't have control if we're abused, but people have control over abusing someone. So don't be ashamed about it. You don't have to talk about it if you're not at that step yet. It took me four years to talk about it very publicly, but um, it doesn't have to be something you keep a secret because you think it's going to make you look bad. I think in my experience, it makes me look really strong and honest. And that's the feeling I get for everyone who's been on your podcast is that they're very strong and honest.
1: Well, Olia, I really want to thank you for being here with us today, sharing your story. Uh, you know, your story was one of being duped and, you know, being used as a prop and coming to terms with that and understanding that it's it's not an easy thing to uh, go through, the trauma of everything with the physical abuse uh, and, and just being controlled for so long. It's not an easy story to tell. You did a great job, uh, especially with the sensitive manner of some of the subject matter today. I think you were very respectful of, of everything. So a really big thank you for uh, being here with us today. You know, everyone who's listening, uh, sitting in uh, the seat and telling your story is not an easy thing to do. Besides uh, possibly re-traumatizing yourself uh, while telling your story for the benefit of, of others, uh, that is a one big possibility. It's also very tiring to sit here and tell your story from beginning to end and try to remember Everything that uh was said or every moment, and even when you have notes, it is not an easy thing uh to do and I know that Olia here today was was prepared, and um you know there were moments in there we 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 talked a little bit um. You know, transitioning from spot to spot. And I just really think you did uh, a great job. So um, thank you so much for myself and, and, and everyone for being here with us today. And if you want to be a guest on our show, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. At the top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our guest form page. On our guest form page, there are lots of instructions, everyone. So many instructions. Please do read all of the instructions and then send me an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or just fill out our guest form page and press the submit button. We're always looking for stories, so please do send them in. Also at our website, we have our very own safe social network. So, If you go to NarcissistApocalypse.com and at the top of the page, there is a button that says support group. When you click on that support group, it takes you to our very own safe social network. We have forum boards on there. We have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoon, and Saturday night. We also have episodes that never made it to air and ad-free episodes. And if you just want to support the show, because this show can... It really needs all the support you can. we can get here. Uh, please do join our support group because it helps us out a lot there too. And if you haven't left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, please do leave us a five-star review. It helps us out a lot when it comes to ranking and being found and, and searchability. So a big thank you in advance for that too. And if you need even more support, please do go visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. At DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you're going through. They have uh, phone numbers and websites for shelters and domestic abuse agencies, too. It is a free resource. It is a great resource. And there are wonderful people there. Hello to Ashley. And that is DomesticShelters.org. And that is it for today's episode. So for myself, And Olia, we hope you have a good night.